We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman, and I have 45 years, well, more than 45 years of experience as an expert fire investigator, and I was honored to be a, a president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I've been a past president since 2005. And this is Donna Ingram. I have almost 30 years of, of experience in insurance fraud. Uh, closer to 29. We'll just say that. No. <laughs> He's given me a look. Anyway, uh, and I'm a past director of the IAAI also. And uh, welcome to Speaking of Fire. Thank you. And and uh, we are honored to have two great individuals today that have uh, excelled in their fields. Uh, uh, Gary uh, Thorstenson, uh, who is a, the now training management uh uh, a regional training manager for IAAI, International Association of Arson Investigators. And he's also a deputy fire marshal in the town of East Lynn, uh, Lynn that's, I guess, Lyme, Connecticut, L-Y-M-E. Is that right, Gary? What is that? Uh, that's correct, uh, Mike. Thanks for having me on. That's fine. And, and also, uh, you, were, uh, you were a training uh, a director for uh, uh, Connecticut, were you not? Yeah, yes, I wasn't. Well, um, I was a director of training for the Army National Guard in Connecticut for a while, and uh, the last job I had, I, I was the lead trainer for the fire investigation certification program in Connecticut for about 10 years. Oh, fantastic. And and we also have uh, the current uh, chairman of the Training and Education Committee uh, of the International Association of Arson Investigators, Trace Lawless. And uh, he has more than 34 years of experience in the fire service and law enforcement, uh, fire and explosion investigations. And, and uh, he is, uh, also works for um, uh, a um, Grinnell Mutual insurance company, um, and he's uh, in their special investigations unit. Trace, welcome. Thank you, Mike. And uh, I'm, I'm, and you. How did you, uh, how did you ever get associated with the international to become the training and education uh, committee chairman? Well, uh, early in my career, I got started with the uh, the IAAI at the municipal level, uh, as you mentioned in the fire service, and I was lucky enough to also be attached to law enforcement at that time. And then, as I moved through my career, always was a member of the local chapter in the international. And uh, as things progressed, uh, April last year, I was elected to the board of directors for the International and uh, was given the opportunity by President Cotting at that time to oversee and chair the Training and Education Committee for the International. It's been a, uh, a eye-opening experience, uh, <laughs> connecting and coordinating, communicating with uh, people you know, throughout the, the world and uh, addressing needs and uh identifying experts and subject matter experts in different fields that uh, keeps our industry moving in the right direction with training and education. Right. And, you know, you know, both of you have very 
very significant and and uh, and massive jobs. Uh, Gary, you're taking over at international level and and actually working out of the IAAI headquarters. Um, you're dealing with uh, and all of the uh, the courses that uh, Trace and and their T&E committee is developing, but you're also responsible for ones that are already in play. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm in Maryland right now, speaking to you from our headquarters and. Uh, um, there we have over 14 we have 14 different classes that we have set up ready to deliver anywhere mostly in the country and in, in, in North America but really anywhere in the world uh, where we have the uh, the uh, instructors ready the curriculum ready and we deliver these on a regular basis we've got four of them going on right now as we speak in this month and um, um, it's all cutting edge stuff taught by people who are who are out there in the field. Uh, doing the job and who have uh, good experience and and good background, so it's, it's a great opportunity for me to to work with these people. I'm I'm so happy that you're there. Um, it, I know this is now a full time position. Uh, before it was a part time thing, and and uh, now it's full. And I'm happy that the IAAI did that. Now this uh, the name of this show is so you want to be a fire investigator. <laughs> so so. Um, this, we were hoping that, that we would attract some people because we want to to encourage people to get into fire investigations. Uh, and so, but it's just not, if you've been on the fire department for, for 20 years, doesn't make you a fire investigator. And I was hoping both of you guys, uh, and you can do it one at a time or whatever, would address that issue about how how do you become a fire investigator? Say you're just a student uh, and and you're interested in fire investigations? Uh, can the IAAI help us uh, help you? Uh, uh, Gary, we'll go with you first. Can can the IAAI help you get into fire investigation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started, believe it or not, when I got my job as a lead trainer for fire investigation. I had zero fire investigation experience. Um, I went to my state class, but the first organization I affiliated with was my state chapter, IAAI, and then after that, the, the international chapter. Uh, many of our courses um, talk about, for example, our 40-hour fundamentals of fire investigation is geared towards learning the, the craft of the fire investigator. It's a specific process. It's a, it's a systematic approach. And although it's very complex, fire investigation is very complex, there is a system and IAAI has people who have been working with that system forever and uh, are pretty adept at getting that information down to the individual student. So I think that IAAI um, joining our organization and, and, and taking our classes is a great way uh, to get involved in fire investigation. And, and, and if I may, sign on with your local fire marshal. They're always looking for people to, uh, who, who are interested in, in, uh, in learning the craft and They'll be more than happy to have you come out and dig out a basement or two with them after a big fire. <laughs> uh, Gary, I really appreciate you mentioning membership since I am the membership chairman for the IAAI. <laughs> and uh, you, you actually, that was going to be my next uh, comment and question to the two of you, which is as far as membership goes, uh, talk about that a little bit more in depth about the trainings that you take around the country. Sure. Trace, why don't you handle that one? 
Okay, not a problem. Uh, well, membership, I mean, that's hand-in-hand with training in the, in the IAAI. Is, um, you know, as Gary mentioned, the 40-hour program is a, is a basic fundamentals program that the, the new people coming into the industry, you know, it's, it's a stepping block. You know, you're on the, you're on the first step, and you've got this huge ladder in front of you to, to climb. You know, as we take on new members uh, at the international level and at chapter levels, we're there to support them in their training needs from that basic level all the way up through, you know, fire dynamics, um, fire uh, and uh, thermometry, you know, photograph classes, how to, how to do forensic photographs properly in low-light situations, um, pick up the actual fire effects in your photographs, and keep building on that basic level. Uh, up and, you know, get them to the credentialing level and um, develop them on the educational side. Then also, you know, you, you can't have a backseat to that education side of, of just being in the in the classroom all the time. You have to get out in the field with experienced investigators. And I like the mentorship program where you take a seasoned investigator, you get them out with a uh, a, a new person in the industry. They may have some background in law enforcement or fire service on the suppression side before a lot of them i see also come out of the prevention side into the investigation arena but it's a whole new new game for them and at that time you know get them with a seasoned person mentor them teach them the right ways and the wrong you know the wrong ways and, and what things not to not to run into or try to eliminate in the process and uh see so you got to have that hands-on application also i mean i just recently had the opportunity to teach a class up in Michigan, a motor vehicles class for a whole week. You know, basically three days of that class is in the classroom. The additional two days are actually field work. Seeing vehicles burn. Um, then going in and processing those vehicles and, and collecting the ignition uh, systems and collecting the electric systems and identifying materials that went through the paralysis process and the effects of fire. So, uh, can never overlook that hands-on um, approach to it. Well, and I know in our area, a lot of, you know, the chiefs and, and city managers, and they aren't experts in, you know, some fire chiefs are, but they've come through the ranks, but they're not experts, and they rely on their fire investigators to let them know even things down to uh, types of tools and so forth. Well, you know, Don, sure. one thing that, that Trace mentioned was that the, the, the mentorship program, often um, a, a new fire investigator will get with someone who's, who's been there. And, and throughout our industry, we do peer evaluation and we, we discuss the fires and stuff. And I can tell you from my personal experience that um, often I'll see almost every fire I see something that I've never seen before, but it's very seldom that someone else has not seen that somewhere before. So working with being a member of the organization, being, a, being able to interact with other fire investigators, because as you said, there's only one or two in each public. In, in the public sector, there's only a couple. And, and to, to be able to work with people who do that on a regular basis uh, really helps out, really brings your skill levels up. And it's, I know it's helped me a lot. You know, that's what we did here at, uh, at Fire Consulting International is what we've done is we've taken fire investigators from the local fire and police um, agencies and then put them into our training program where they go with us to hundreds of fires 
mm-hmm. over the and at least a three-year period. And then when they finally get their, their IAAI CFI, well, we actually um, have already given them that training, that hands-on experience and, and, and showing them a whole bunch of things with experienced investigators. Well, you know, like Kirk Hankins and I and, and, uh, and, and our people. And so, and, and, um, and we teach them report writing. And so the, the real truth of the matter is there's nothing like, um, well, you can go to EKU, which is a wonderful program for fire investigators, Eastern Kentucky University, and we're going to have Greg Gorbett on at a, at a future show. But uh, you also need that physical be there experience, the empirical data. And that ties right. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree. I would, that ties right into what one of our listeners, and by the way, we have over 6,200 listeners. Um, one of our listeners actually wrote in, and he said, uh, Richard, he said that, quote, as the legal climate for arson and fire investigations becomes more demanding, their need for a rigorous scientific foundation is growing. Fortunately, federal research efforts are already starting to close the gap. He, he talks a little bit more in, about his experience, and he says, are we assuming too much with this new technology, or is this another facet of an industry based on many years of experience and skill on its way out? And his point being that are we going to be turning to computers and, and things where we enter in data out on the scene and things like that? What's your feeling about that, Trace? Do you, do you, are, are computers and uh, are we going to be, I don't know how we're going to get a, a computer to go in and, or a, right. a, a robot to go in and dig out a scene properly, but let's say that they have one. Um, are we going to be replaced by, by technology or are we still going to need that human element? Well, I believe this, this profession will always have a human element to it. Um, I don't foresee, at least in my lifespan here on Great Earth, that uh, I will ever be replaced by a, uh, a robot being able to analyze, you know, fire effects, um, debris, and in um, processing a scene and reconstructing a, a scene physically out there. Now, we all have to admit we have to call on additional resources. Uh, myself, I'm an origin and cause expert, um, and you know, but I rely on a a vast majority of experts, whether it be in the mechanical-related fields or electrical-related fields, fire protection systems, you know, to be part of my team when we're, we're analyzing the, uh, the data that's presented before us. So uh, I don't see a day in time, and at least in my future, to, uh, that we're going to be replaced by those computers. But there are a lot of good applications for the electronic technology industry. Uh, whether it's from scene diagramming to, you know, having data portable with you uh, right in the field that you can use as references, things of that nature. Um, you know, we think back to 35-millimeter camera and where we are today <laughs> with uh, with the digitals. You know, when I started in the public service at the municipal level, you know, here's your one roll of 36 uh, exposure film. Don't use it all this month. And, um, you know, <laughs> now we're out there taking several hundred photographs and documenting our scenes more thoroughly and, and having that uh, pictorial representation of actually uh, what we had out there at the scene for, you know, our our clients. Um, and then during, you know, trial deposition and, and things of that nature, uh, being able to better explain uh, 
to all parties involved physically what we were seeing firsthand out there at the lost site. It was worse than my time. I had to have a flash. We had to cover up my head and had that big flash thing. I took, oh, <laughs> oh, and the smoke. Yeah, yeah and the smoke. You had the old yeah. flash powder, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, I don't yeah. remember them days, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, and, and, and getting down to it, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, this is a, a profession that is a science and an art combined. And when we say art, we don't mean that, you know, we're you know, painting pictures or, you know, things like that. What it means is being able to interpret the, the, the data. So it, you can put all kinds of data into a machine and it cannot interpret an opinion interpret. or, or factor in everything that needs to be factored in. Exactly. That's true, Donna. And I think that, that um, the recent move towards more scientific approach, more analytical approach, is, is a good one. I think it's addressed in 921 and 1033, and uh, IAAI embraces that, and, and that's why we have our training programs, to keep people on the cutting edge of the scientific uh, processes we, we need to do. You know, back, say, 30, 40 years ago, you fire marshal or fire investigator learned as he went and and that's not so much the case now we're asking them to to be certified to be qualified and and the IAAI CFI uh, my opinion is is the gold standard for that if you are a certified fire investigator with IAAI you are at the top of your craft and that that those kinds of things are important if if unfortunately if some of us were in a situation where someone was calling us into question, you would want to make sure that the, the systems being used were scientific and reliable and correct. And, and I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, and I, I know you're correct. And that, and that uh, I was uh, recently talking to the chairman of the CFI committee, Rod Pevito, and he was saying that, uh, uh, and this is for our people in South America and Mexico, um, they're, they're trying to get the CFI test uh, uh, translated into Spanish, but also, they're looking into um, different uh, countries have different types of uh, judicial systems. So they're they're tr they're looking at ways so that uh, the people in South America can, can become IAAI CFI, even if they don't have to testify, because uh, mm -hmm. right now testimony is part of that. And Correct. and Trace, yeah, Trace, uh, uh, 1033. Uh, 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 Gary just brought it up. Uh, 1033 at 1.3.7 has 16 different things that fire investigators have to be um, uh, cognizant of in in, uh, in excessive uh, secondary school level. So, uh, are, is is the TNE committee um, making any inroads into uh, teaching those 16 uh, things? Well, yes, for sure, Mike, and that that's our goal in training and education is be able to offer continuing education, uh, both in the classroom setting and the hands-on practical setting, that would cover all 16 of the prerequisite knowledge um, that are covered in 1033, 1.3.7, and uh, continue that. I, I see in the future those 16 being potentially expanded further as new separate classifications of higher education or additional training have to be met in this profession. And it would be our goal at the international to to stay in line with that, to support it, and to train and educate people to that level. Is we want the our membership 
and people who are not our members, we want them coming to us for the highest level of training and education in the fire investigation industry. And uh, we we have a lot of members uh, that are directly associated to both 1033 and to NFPA 921, and they dedicate a lot of their time and efforts for those documents that is needed, and we want to support those moving forward and be partnerships right along with the NFPA documents from the training and education side. Now, you brought up something that's really important. Um, uh, to become IAAI CFI, you don't even have to be a member of the IAAI. You can, you, you can pay a, a fee and take the test, um, and, and that's uh, separate from many other di- different types of organizations where they make you be a member of their organization. They require it to even become certified. So I think that's a real, that's a real good thing that IAAI does. And that, and it's also the only one I believe that's totally accredited with the uh, pro board. Is that, isn't that correct? Uh, I think that's correct. Yes, the program is, is accredited by pro board. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, that, that was a, a different thing. You know, we talk about different levels of training and education, you know, Last year, uh, the Board of Directors here at the International introduced the designation level, and that, that's in reference to our motor vehicle fire program. So that's, that's actually classified as a designation, and where the CFI program is a, is a certified program. And the way we look at that in training and education under the credentials is 1033 is a standard. So we can certify to a standard and then also have it accredited um, by pro board as as a third party completely independent from us. Now, there's not a standard out there for motor vehicle fire investigations. Yes, motor vehicles is is talked about in Chapter 27 of NFPA 921, but 921 is a guide. So there's not a standard for motor vehicle fire investigations. That's why we've identified that as a designation. So anybody who has accomplished the level of certified fire investigator or a fire investigation technician, also referred to as the IAAI FIT program, can then do the additional training specifically related to motor vehicle fires and obtain their endorsement, kind of a specialty field, on top of their CFI or their fit program or certification levels. Exactly. And I want to jump in here. And that is one of the reasons listeners out there uh, directly related to you want to be a fire investigator. You have those designations. This is the IAAI is the authority on those. And so to become a member of the IAAI, that gives you access to those designations and to those those programs. You still have that, but it, it gives you the credibility that you need because of things not everything is standardized. There's not a standard for everything. So that's why this exists. So that's, that's uh, I always... 100% right, Donna. Is, you know, in the yep. training and education level, we want to make sure we're certifying to a, an acceptable standard or above that acceptable standard. And, you know, that goes hand in hand with these programs is, is right along with the membership. Is Once you're a member and you have all this stuff available to you, you also have that large network of individuals like every one of us to reach out to at any given time and bounce questions off and, and to make comments. 
And that's something that I, when I address the different chapters, because I go around the country and I let them know that aside from, you know, some of the, the benefits that you hear about with life insurance and things like that, it's, it's about for $8.33 a month, you are part of a voice of 9,000 people that goes to Washington and affects legislation and affects directly 921. And there's only, as Randy Watson says, there's only one seat on a witness stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it can, and there's a pucker factor involved in that. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, well, Gary, I, I know that you have got a lot of experience in, in, uh, in training and, and, and fire. And so um, we're going to be we're going to be going to break here shortly, but uh, I know you as a new the new regional training um, manager that you're going to be um, intimately involved with uh, with people and and in uh, programs. Um, and I I'm going to when we come back, I'm going to ask you what you think the future is um, of uh, with IAAI as far as the training is concerned. But also, I would like to know a little bit about. Um, uh, you know, how did you how did you transition from just totally training and getting into fire investigations? And maybe maybe ask you for a um, a story. I'd like to hear a story from both of you guys, a, a fire story, because people are very interested in fire stories. And uh, and I'm sure with uh, um, I know Trace for a number of years, and I know from his checkered past that he has one of those. <laughs> He's got a story back there, and I call it checkered past because he knew me. So that's why I checkered fast. So anyway, uh, so in a moment, um, but anyway, so and Trace, I'd like to come back to you about uh, about uh, 1033 too, um, uh, you know, and how uh, we can get uh, more of the, um, the students, whether you have any ideas on how we can get uh, more students uh, involved. And I'm talking about the younger people that we can encourage if, when we come back uh, if you can think about that, and I'd certainly like to hear sure. one of your stories, okay? And so, if oh, we'll go, to, we're, we're going to go to break now, uh, a little bit early, but uh, we'll go to break, and uh, I want you to come back to Speaking of Fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. 
That's fireanalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Gary, before the break, uh, we were talking about sharing some stories, and uh, I'd like for you to share an interesting story for our listeners, please. Sure. Uh, this, this, this story happened uh, early on in my fire investigation career. It was probably maybe my, one of the first five or ten fires I've been to. It was a structure fire early in the morning, or late at night, early in the morning, and it was pretty cold and windy, and... Uh, I was taking statements from the owner, and the statements he was telling me didn't make sense to me. He told me that when he smelled smoke, he sent his wife down, and that when he cleaned out his fireplace, he dragged the ashes through the house, and things like just didn't make sense to me. And, and I said, this guy's not telling me the truth. The fire was confusing in that the area of origin had no obvious um, uh, sources of ignition. So I went to my fire marshal and I said, hey, this guy, this guy's not being forthcoming with us. There's something wrong here. We need to, we need to get him alone and we need to, to pursue this. And, and um, he, said, he said to me, uh, Gary, um, we're just starting this. Relax. Work the process. We're going to, we've been around the outside. We've been inside the house. We're going to start looking at the electrical system, trace the electrical system back, if, do some arc mapping if we need to, and, and, and if we don't find anything towards the end, then we'll go there. But let the process go. Don't go in with a preconceived notion. And you know what? It was the best. Of course, he's a fire marshal. It was terrific advice. When we did that, we found that there was an electrical problem in the garage, and the garage is where it started, and moved over to the area of or- that we thought was the area of origin. And And I was lucky enough to to find the pattern that moved us there, me and, a, and another investigator with us. And I learned a lot that day. I learned a lot that work the process. It's, it's a, it's a, we use a scientific method, and we use a systematic approach and do the same thing that time every time. Work the process the same way every time. That's what I taught for 10 years in Connecticut. That's what N- N- uh, IAAI teaches. And sometimes you get excited and, and, and you're on the scene, and it's very complex, and it's, and it's very confusing. The training we receive, if you rely on it, it will bring you to the, to the process. It will bring you through the process to the end you're looking for. So um, my advice, based on my story, is relax, get some training, rely on the training, and you'll get to where, you'll get to where the fire uh, leads you. And that's it, and that is great, and that is great information because – I I started before 921 existed while it was being written. 
Um, I know, I know you guys were around before and we were teaching this. We were actually, and I remember listening to it, but there was a, that's the great thing about having a voice in the IWI being a part of 921 is because that's, that scientific method is actually spelled out now. And there's no mistaking that this is a guide. This is, this is the way it needs to be done. So you're working the process is exactly right. Thank you for that. Yes, and you know that's uh, that's that's really true. And uh, and although she doesn't believe it, I did not work the burning bush. Now, <laughs> I I you saw it. The bush. I, I saw it up on the hill, but I and I know who did it, but I, but I didn't work it. Kirk worked it. Kirk. Anyway, but um, it, he's older than me. No, he's really not. But we won't talk about that. But Gary, you um, you were talking about the first, um, like within the first ten fires you ever. Uh, we're we're working. Um, one of the things that I recommend to my students when uh, when I'm uh, teaching uh, uh, the expert witness thing is that they really need to go out and do uh, some interviewing classes, um, either at their local uh, uh, junior college or at college level, uh, or get it from law enforcement. The the uh, interviewing uh, because you said that you and in that story, I heard you say it. The guy was it was confusing the way he, the way he said things and and stuff like that. And um, and people sometimes don't take responsibility for their own actions either. Uh, they'll tell us that they they didn't do it. But what brought you into fire investigations from general overall training? I mean, was it uh, your experience with the fire marshal, or what was it that brought you? Well, in? I I um, I retired from the military, and mm-hmm. um, I had a good training background from the military, and uh, I applied for a job with the state of Connecticut as a trainer. And I didn't expect to get it. I was just just retired and getting back into into the uh, civilian world, and they hired me. They said, you're, you're a good trainer. You, we're going to hire you as a trainer. I said, terrific. What, what, what am I going to train? And they said, you're going to train fire investigators. I, I had no idea you know, here I am being hired to train people. I had no no background. So I went to the course first, and my local fire marshal said, who I had known for a while before from my military background, because we used to work in the town there. And he said, uh, listen, if you get, finish your class, I'll, I'll put you on. And that's exactly how I did it. I, I uh, uh, Once I completed the class, I got certified in the state of Connecticut, and he, he, has, he appointed me as a fire investigator, and I started doing fires, and I started. The more you see, the, the the more you see, the better you get. And if it wasn't to tell you the truth, if it wasn't for my local fire marshal, I wouldn't even be at IWAI today. I'll, I'll mention his name, Dick Morris, great guy. Gave me the opportunity, and uh, and I was able to to learn not just in the classroom, but learn um, in actual fires, and that that is so important to do. You don't even have to be appointed in a local town. Most fire marshals would love to have the uh, the the um, the uh, assistance, especially in a in a in a fire structure fire late at night, and and you learn a lot by watching them work and 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 helping out, even if it's just digging things out or carrying debris or or reconstructing the scene. Um, it's a great opportunity, and that's how I got to be a fire investigator. That's how I I got to be, and I and to be honest, I joined the IAAI. I joined the local chapter, went to meetings there, and I joined the the, um, uh, the international, started going to uh, classes. I've been to classes in vehicle fire and other things with the international. And um, 
that's how I got to where I am today. So it is possible. I, I used to tell my students, if, if, if I can go to this school and learn to be a fire investigator, I'm sure you people can too. Oh, that's, that's terrific. I mean, because as we all get in one way or another, I wrote a paper when I was in college, uh, when I was a police detective, I wrote a paper instead of on homicide or burglary, I wrote it on arson and suddenly I was arson guy. Yeah. So I had to go out and learn about it. So <laughs> that's, I mean, it, it, that's how it works. And Trace, yeah. I don't, I, Trace, what was, what, uh, what did it for you? I mean, what, what brought you into fire investigation uh, from, uh, from anything else? Well, it was, uh, early on in my career after my military time and, and came back to a local suburb of Cincinnati and uh, was home for a few months and was always uh, interested in being in the fire service. So I went to work at a, at a local fire department and uh, their investigator, prevention officer there, told me, he's a wise gentleman, he says, you don't want to get into that EMS side of this business. He said, you need to, you need to come into the fire investigation side. And from there, uh, he introduced me to the, the international and, uh, you know, at the, at the state chapter level and then uh, at the international level and started attending uh, trainings and uh, the international training conference and building on my education and background. And, uh, you know, went to law enforcement academy shortly thereafter. And I've had uh, 34 great years in the fire and law enforcement uh, service just pertaining to uh, the investigation of fires and explosions. Well, and how about you, Trace? What 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 story do you have for us? Well, I, I would directly relate it, Donna, to uh, to training and education. Is uh, approximately six years ago, while I was still working at the uh, at State Fire Marshal's office in Ohio, I had the opportunity to meet with a, a young new recruit in a, uh, a fire department down in in southwestern Ohio, and they were very he was in very interested in the investigation side and i took the same approach that that happened early on in my career i kind of took this gentleman under my wing and introduced him to some fire scenes and got him out in fire scenes and introduced him to training both at the international and and at the chapter level uh and, and then right at two years ago now i got to sit in the courtroom and see him give his first ever testimony on a uh on a trial uh, with a successful outcome of a conviction of arson on, on an individual who, uh, in my mind, based in, in looking at the, the facts and the data of the case, I wasn't directly involved in it, but assisting him along the way and knowing the, you know, the, the data is, uh, you know, this gentleman uh, intentionally set a fire that, uh, in an attempt to, to, ki- to kill his two children. And oh he goodness. was successful in the prosecution of that. And that has always been uh, some of the big things in my career is, you know, get the training and education out there and introduce people to where to go get it in that career path, as we talked about earlier. And you will mm-hmm. see these positive outcomes um, speak in their own words and their own ways later on in your career. Well, you know, a lot of people want uh, to transition Thank you for bringing that up because a lot of people want to transition from uh, from the fire service into um, into private investigations uh, for insurance carriers, attorneys, and and things of that nature. And uh, and Trace, you're you're in a good position to address uh, that 
uh, you know, address this transitioning because it's not that simple uh, to do that. Can you address talk to, about that for a second? Sure. I mean, well, you're exactly right, Mike. Is you know, we all want to think it's it's the same thing. Well, ultimately, the job itself of investigation of the fire cause it is the same. But in the private sector, the independent sector, there's so much more involved in it. You're you're dealing, you know, with everything else besides that. In the public sector, you're concerned, and your your main focus is the is this an intentional act? Is this fire incendiary? And once you get past the incendiary part is, and you eliminate that, well, the accidentals and all, all the other things and the product failures and the things that we really have a great effect on, product recalls and stuff like that, public sector you don't have to worry about. Independent sector and me directly working for an insurance carrier and myself in special investigations is you really have to have a focus on did we have a product involved? Do we have subrogation issues against that product or services that were done at that structure or on a vehicle, whatever your fire involves? So, and you also got to know how to communicate properly with people. Uh, that is a huge part that you cannot emphasize enough as communications, as you mentioned before, with the expert witness courtroom testimony offer. You know, you need to know how to communicate in every facet of life that you deal with and i've got the opportunity in my career to travel throughout the united states and intercontinental and the bottom line is every facet of life you would deal with in this industry when you get that opportunity so you gotta adapt and talk to these people at their level or within their their beliefs or their community beliefs or religious beliefs so you have a wide spectrum and the the transition from public to private work is not as black and white as people think it is. You have to have the additional training and additional time in the field of, once again, working with somebody who has applied that for years, like yourself and Mr. Hankins, and putting it all together to wind up successful at the end of your career. And it has it has evolved in the last 30 years and something that uh, I remember training at chapter level and international level, uh, these fire, fire departments and police departments that uh, were taking, you know, pieces of evidence, you know, toasters, whatever it was, and taking them apart and so forth. Yeah, because they were curious, and and that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the community. It, after even after determining that's not incendiary, uh, there's a fire safety uh, issue there. However, evidence spoliation comes into play now, and and all those different things, and it's really evolved. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I would and, sure hope that in today's world of fire investigations, both in the at the public and the private sector. We're not having those incidents where toasters are being taken apart in the fire chief's office or out on the bay floors anymore. And everybody has a real understanding through efforts like this of just getting the information out. And that's one of our big things coming up with the international at the training and education level is how can we additionally get information out on training and education and recalls and membership and all this stuff to our people. And we are actively working as we speak to implement a training and education app for mobile devices so we can do push notifications 
and additional resources in the training and education side of it. I had a chuckle. I just thought of something, and if I can remember this, I'll bring it to Vegas. But sometimes I miss uh, the old days, and for one reason, old telephones that used to hang on the wall. Somewhere in my basement or in, in somewhere, I have one that is melted and almost touching the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That obviously it wasn't the cause of the fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, well, the training for for evidence spoliation would be interesting. Uh, I know that we address it in in uh, insurance uh, aspects, but uh, uh, for the fire departments, and I always tell the fire departments when I'm talking to them, don't take this. Once you establish it's not a an incendiary fire, leave it alone. Uh, and just yep. uh, just tape it off. Uh, take a photograph of it. Tell the insured to keep it out. To keep to stay away from it and and let his insurance company handle it only because I don't want the fire departments to get in trouble um, so, for, for taking these things. And, uh, you know, and uh, go ahead, Gary. Uh, you, I well, was, Mike, I was, what I was, was going to say is just along that line, I, I started in 2005 and just retired from the state uh, this past year, and I saw the transition from take the evidence to leave it there. And in Connecticut, I can tell you, we teach exactly what – what Trace was talking about is, and what you just said, the only thing we take now is fire debris in a in a in a clean can, and we drop it off the same day at at the lab. Anything else, leave it there. Some some departments will actually tag it and leave it for for the insurance people, so they can determine what the cause. You know, we know what the cause was, but but what was the, the what was the initial problem that caused that fire and then they can address that and that's what they do that's what insurance companies do and, and the other thing i wanted to mention quick was from a from from an outsider looking in it would seem that there's a lot of opportunity and there is a lot of opportunity for insurance investigators but the the requirements there are very very stringent to, to be selected there's a lot of people apply for these jobs. To be selected, you have to be among the best. And part of that, a big part of that, is your experience and your qualification and your training. And that's where IAAI comes in. So anyone who's looking to, to move, to transition from uh, the public sector to the private sector, it's not just an easy, that just Trace put, uh, uh, mentioned, it's not just an easy transition. And the key to that is education and training, and if you have the background combined with that, then you got a good shot at moving over to the to the private side. Because I, I, all my friends are public guys. That's what I was in, 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 and they all talk about moving over to the private side. But but not all of them make it, and that's usually because they don't have the training background to match their experience. And that's something I try to encourage uh, on in the public sector when I talk to people out there, and I talk to. Uh, thousands a year through the IAAI out in the halls you know the old thing you learn more in the hallways and in the classroom is applies when it comes to the networking piece of understanding the business and I talk to these people about you know get out there if you've got a local private company that can you know hire you as a digger as a laborer to get out there on these scenes and and start learning about liability and and all these different things I always learned more in the hospitality room. Well, he, <laughs> if he remembers, that is. <laughs> well, see, okay, so so she's absolutely right about that. But uh, well, you guys, uh, both of you, 
Um, is there some is there some uh, movement to uh, first of all? I'm going to say that what I, I, I can hear you guys both. You're saying both of your both of your saying is you stop reading, you stop doing your research. You well, Einstein said if you stop learning, you start dying. Okay, if you stop reading, I agree. So both of you guys, I think I hear you saying that that uh, you know it is a continuing process. And you have to keep training. Now, is there anything that you guys have? And I don't know this. And, and it's I'm, I'm sorry if it's off the wall to, to ask you that. But I kind of kind of teased you on the before the break. Is there anything that to bring new students in uh, right now? Or, I mean, have we got any kind of a movement going on yet for for these young guys uh, or young women? I'd love to see more women get into fire investigations because they can interview guys and guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll tell anything to a woman, but uh, women don't usually like women very much, frankly. But, <laughs> but uh, is there anything going on with uh, with uh, helping uh, the new students? Either one of you. I believe I believe the the connection to new people is in these universities, in these colleges that are, or in even vocational schools. In Ohio, we have several vocational schools that now have fire investigation programs attached with them. Is um, that's where the the new investigators and new members of the international are coming from. And we have to be able to reach out and add additional levels of expertise and training to facilitate these programs. One of them that gets utilized daily in these um, institutions are, is the CFITrainer.net platform, where you ha- the modules are there. They're free to, to view. Um, you know, that in the past has always been done under, and supported by the federal grant. And, you know, everybody within the international knows we didn't receive that grant this year for 2017. So we're looking at that program will continue. It's not going to stop. We're going to reapply for that grant and keep those modules and those, those short education processes where you can be tested out at the end through the CFITrainer.net modules on fire dynamics, thermometry, report writing, photographs, um, everything that is involved within the industry, you know, the guide of 921, the standards of 1033, and how they relate to each other. So those go on. There's there's multiple modules there, and we want to keep that platform available to the institutions, but at the same time reach out from the membership side, which Donna does a great job of, of directing, is get in these institutions at the membership side, get them into the associate member level, and then also get them going from those institutions into our training programs. And if we can lend a hand to some of these institutions, especially the ones that are operated at the local state fire marshals um, level, let's get our programs in there and keep building that education and training for future fire investigators. Right, and and even uh, people in the industry now that are actually uh, like like us, private investigators, uh, some of them haven't given depositions yet or, or expert testimony. There's there's two deposition modules up there. Uh, people are sometimes mm-hmm. concerned about depositions. So, and That's Gary, correct. do you for your future, Gary? You're you you're the future here uh, on, uh, on 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 get, coordinating these. Uh, these things that Trace are developing. Uh, what's your What's your big challenge? What do you think your challenge is going to be? 
Well, my challenge is it continues to be the same thing is to deliver deliver that quality training program. Um, uh, uh, from a personal viewpoint, I've I've been in training all my life. I've run training programs. I've I've directed them, evaluated them across the spectrum. But here, here in IAAI, I I ask people who I've never met to teach at some facility I've never been to to some students that I don't know who they are. And what the, what I found in the six weeks, I've only been here six weeks, seven weeks, is that mm-hmm. the quality of our instructors is amazing. For example, the 921 course, 921 update, we do a program where we, we tell you the changes to 921. There's a new, the new book, I think, is out today, I think. Maybe it might be out today or tomorrow, the, the, the actual it's, book. It uh, is out. Mark. Right. Yeah. But, but the people who are teaching that course, they're on the technical committee that developed the new program. And all of our programs are like that. We have, we have uh, very, very often I want to give a, a class. I says, can you do the class uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on, on this date? And he'll say, no, I'm testifying in a capital case that date. How about two weeks <laughs> after that? You know, so, so right. my challenge is to, is to match their commitment and to make sure that these quality programs get get sent to where they're needed. You know, that's the other nice thing is you don't need to come to us. We can come to you. I believe one thing, yeah, I believe one thing that's going to really help that here is is coming up just next month. You know, um, I know we mentioned the International Training Conference uh, several times, and, and Donna mentioned Las Vegas. We've only got a minute left, folks. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. good job. But uh, yeah, but no, the International Training Conference is coming up in Las Vegas, and you're going to be there, and you're going to be on our show, aren't you? Uh, both of you guys, um, TV sure. and and radio, yeah. we're going to be on April the twelfth, but uh, the conference starts earlier. So next week, by the way, uh, we've got a we got a, a, a wildland fires with uh, Tom Fee. Uh, um, is going to be on with uh, wildland fires and um, and so uh, I'm sorry to keep you guys short, but uh, we've run out of time here. So please come back uh, next week to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.